Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to our second episode ever of Ohio Politics Explained. This week, I'm joined by my boss, Jackie Borchardt. She's been covering politics in Ohio for the last decade, and she also makes the most amazing chocolate chip cookies. Hey, Jackie, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about vaccines again. Specifically, we're diving into whether money motivates people to take the shot. Then we'll go to Twitter's favorite topic of the week, Ohio's new license plate. Our third topic is Jim Jordan and when exactly he talked to President Trump on January 6th. And finally, we'll explain how defining what is and isn't a stream came to be a super controversial topic. So let's jump in. Money can't buy happiness, but Governor DeWine hopes it will buy herd immunity. He's got a three-tiered reward program for state employees that pays out up to $1,000 for those who get their COVID shots. I've been covering this a little bit, and so is Jackie. So is it working? Are state employees getting their vaccinations? It seems to be working a little bit. So the first deadline, so you said three-tiered. So in order to get the full $1,000, state employees have to do a number of things. The first is actually get a first dose of the vaccine. And the second is to submit a form attesting that they have gotten the vaccine. Now they get $100 for submitting that form. They get a $300 bonus if their agency reaches a 65% attestation form turn-in benchmark by last Friday. And then they get another $600 if the agency reaches 85% of employees getting that first shot. And also, this is the important part, turning in the form that says you got the shot. So what we've learned uh, by that first deadline, which ended last week, last Friday, 37 state agencies met that 65% mark. And so about 11,000 state employees out of the 50,000 or so are going to get that $300 bonus. And almost a dozen of these agencies actually already met the second benchmark, so they're going to get the full $1,000. And they'll have until, I think, the middle of November to, to get that. So by doing this phased approach, you kind of have this midway result where the hope is state employees will see other agencies got this bonus. <laughs> Maybe if we work together and get the vaccine, we can get the next bonus. Yeah, like uh, the Department of Corrections, it was interesting. They they had the lowest percentage vaccination on this report. It was like 28%, but then we contacted them and they were like, no, nah, it's actually like 58% of our employees are vaccinated. They just didn't turn in their forms. Yeah, and I think some people are maybe... I don't know why people wouldn't turn in the forms. I think there's a variety of reasons. Maybe they don't want their employer to know. They feel it's an invasion of privacy to to fill out the form. We're seeing that, I think, in other companies that are putting similar mandates or requesting employees to divulge their vaccination status. It is inter- It was interesting to me that the prisons department is tracking that internally because the prisons are a place where we saw some very large outbreaks. I think the largest single outbreak of this whole pandemic was in a prison. So it's close quarters. It's hard to separate people. Infectious disease in a prison can catch on like wildfire. So I was not surprised that they had a higher vaccination rate and that they are tracking that very closely. So Ohio's got a new license plate. It's Sunrise in Ohio. 
not to be confused with Reagan's Morning in America. The plate has a shining sun rising from a wheat field while the Wright brothers' plane flies overhead. And that's been a bit of a, a sore spot for the governor's office because it turns out that the Wright brothers' flyer was facing the wrong direction. So at the press conference uh, Thursday morning unveiling this license plate, reporters couldn't really get a good look at the plate. They had a big board in the front of the room and, you know, everyone was asking questions like, why wheat? And uh, this looks a lot like that beautiful Ohio plate that we had several years ago. And after the press conference, once people were taking a closer look at the image, a lot of people started to notice, especially Ohioans from Dayton, that the plane was flying the wrong direction. If, if the, the purpose was to have the plane pulling a banner, which uh, says birthplace of aviation, which, by the way, is required in state law. State law requires oh, us that. to have that on the license plate. Yeah. Huh. So that's why it's there. And if the plane is, in fact, pulling the banner, then it is actually pulling it from the front of the plane. <laughs> so later in the, you know, we reached out to Jesse Balmer on our team, reached out to Governor DeWine's office to ask about this. And as of the recording of this podcast, we still do not know how this mistake made it through. We don't know how many plates have already been printed with the backwards plane on it, but some were definitely printed because they've been printing them for a couple of weeks now. Uh, but by late Thursday afternoon, the Department of Public Safety, which oversees the BMV, released a new design with a correctly facing plane. I said that if they're looking to get rid of all of the uh, plates with the plane facing the wrong direction, they could sell them to journalists because I would totally buy one just to have as like uh, a memento of this occasion. I would like hang it on the wall in my office and keep it forever. I I think they should release them. It would be kind of like Ohio's own Where's Waldo game, you know, when you're in the parking lot and you're just kind of glancing around and, oh, there's, there's, there's a backwards plane. I found it. Remember that? That was crazy. Yeah, no, I think they should keep it, but we'll see what they do. Our third topic is Jim Jordan. He's the congressman from just north of Columbus in that weird duck-shaped district. He's also a big supporter of former President Donald Trump. And this week, he had to answer some questions about when exactly he talked to the former president on the day the U.S. Capitol was attacked. He went before a rules committee on Wednesday, and he's kind of um, been going back and forth a little bit on when he talked to him that day, how many times he talked to him, but he hasn't really said anything about what he talked about with the president, right? Correct. So back in July, Spectrum, Ohio news reporter, asked Jordan about if he had spoken with the president. That's, I think, when he first said, yes, I spoke to him. And since then, we don't really have an idea of of when or how many times. And that wasn't really cleared up this week. Uh, He did say that he spoke to the president, he believed, after the attack. Uh, This committee, which is led by Democrats. It does have two Republican members as well, uh, but it's led by Democrats. And I think uh, a lot of the questioning was trying to home in on that that detail. And the purpose of him being there was uh, to review whether they could subpoena Steve Bannon. So this is I don't think this is the last we'll see of Jim Jordan at a committee hearing about January 6th. One of his fellow Republicans who is on the panel, Representative Cheney from Wyoming, she has indicated that she believes he will be a significant witness as 
this whole process of reexamining what happened on January 6th moves forward. Yeah. And I will say one thing Jordan said on Wednesday was he had nothing to do with any of this. And what that means is he had no role in the riot at the Capitol. And that's one of the things that I think the panel's really trying to get at is, you know, what did Trump tell you about the riot? What did he communicate to you? What was, I don't know, what was his emotion? What sense did you get from the president? Because I think they're really trying to do a TikTok, so not the social media app, but TikTok is like the minute by minute presidential schedule for a day. And January 6th is one of those uh, days where I think we want like every minute what Trump was doing, where he was, who he was meeting with when he made certain decisions. Right. So our final topic of the week is water. And streams, to be specific, apparently how we define what is and what isn't a stream is really important and kind of controversial. And I uh, pitched this story to you as it's a little bit wonky, but I promise it's interesting. Um, That's how a lot of my story pitches go. (laughs) But so it turns out that there are different kinds of streams. There are streams that are always running. There are streams that only run certain times of year. And then there are ephemeral streams that only run when they rain. And the federal government under President Trump said ephemeral streams are not streams that need to be protected. Um, The Biden administration might actually put that back. But right now there's no federal protection. And Ohio is kind of considering whether they want to follow in that footsteps. And what that would actually do, like practically speaking, is it would let certain developers develop certain pieces of property for a lot, a lot cheaper. And so hopefully it was as interesting to you as it was to me when I pitched it to you. <laughs> it, it was interesting. And I, I enjoyed too that you learned a lot about water and different <laughs> streams and you were very excited to fill me in. And I think what stood out to me about this topic was that it seems as though ephemeral streams are throughout our state and you could have them on your land without knowing it, right? Yeah. Tell me, you talked to a one of these property developers that had no idea that this was going to be an issue for them. Yeah. And it's also because the rules keep changing. So like the Obama administration included them in their definition of waters of the state. By the way, WOTUS is the acronym and it makes my heart so happy (laughs) that WOTUS is a thing. So uh, the Obama administration added it after they had bought the property. And so the rules for his property changed. And then when they went to sell it, they couldn't sell it. And then the Trump administration in 2020 took that rule off. So theoretically, if the Ohio law went away, now he could sell his property because he has so many ephemeral streams on his property that it's going to be like a million bucks to mitigate them. So like there's two ways to mitigate them. One, you can work around them or um, build new ones on your property, or you can buy like stream credits, which are basically you pay to build them in other parts of the watershed. And it's crazy expensive. So he's like, you know, this wasn't a rule when I bought it. Then it became a rule. Now it's not a rule, but it might be a rule again. And he he kind of just felt like real jerked around by it, which I think like even if you agree with the ephemeral stream like regulations and the importance of protecting them, you can kind of sympathize with the fact that he feels like real jerked around by all the change in the like law. So Republican lawmakers are leading an effort to do away with the state rules. What does the Ohio EPA think of this? They think it's a terrible life choice. They uh, do not agree. They think that this is an important part of our watershed because basically ephemeral streams like send stuff downstream and they're sort of the real headwaters of all of our rivers. And if you use stormwater regulation, not to get too in the weeds here, but like if you use stormwater runoff regulations for ephemeral streams, you can end up with a lot more chemicals in the water, which could cause problems like 
down the line. And that's their argument. This is like the start of our drinking water and we should be protecting it at its like true source. And water quality has been a big priority of Governor Mike DeWine. So I can imagine that he has shares a similar position on the bill. Uh, I don't know. I haven't asked uh, the governor's office to weigh in yet. Um, he tends to get a little skittish about weighing in on stuff before it actually gets to him sometimes. So I don't know. We'll see. I guess it's probably something I should poke him about at some point to see whether he would veto something like this. But it's already passed one chamber, correct? Yes. It's still got to get through the Senate. So we'll see how that goes. And one more thing before you go, if you're looking for a really fun read this weekend, I highly recommend Jesse Balmart's story where she got all the text messages between Governor Mike DeWine and Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley. Now, Whaley is running to be governor. Um, but, and they have a kind of an adversarial relationship right now, which is obvious because they're on the opposite sides of this campaign for governor. But once upon a time, they got along and they were friendly and they heaped praise upon each other for the handling of different issues. And it's just really interesting to sort of watch their, their friendship grow from say like the Dayton shooting through COVID and the way it sort of like faded away as Nan started to run for office. Yeah. And once upon a time, meaning a year ago, (laughs) because that story, those texts are very interesting to read. I think a lot of people knew that they were friends and friendly and supportive of each other. But the text message just show how deep that was and how complimentary they were of each other and how in the early days of the pandemic, the governor brought some things to Whaley and Whaley brought things to him, suggestions, uh, concerns, complaints, requests. And then you're right, it petered out by the end of the year. And I think the telling text was between Nan Whaley and Cincinnati Mayor John Cranley, who's also running for governor on the Democrat to be the, the Democratic nominee for governor. And then in which they basically said, I'm going to skip this meeting because it's more of the same. COVID is bad and he's not going to do anything about it. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered today, check us out online at Enquirer.com. 